Does that get you guys excited? I mean, the, the story of the cross, the, the excitement of knowing that the blood of Christ has covered your sins, is it just me or is that rattling your cage this morning? Are, are you awake? Because we just sang four amazing songs, not because the writer wrote them, but because the message of the blood of the cross has covered our sins. Amen? I think God deserves a hand, don't you think? Let's, let's get excited. Yeah, you, you, we, we often get more excited about uh, the football game at noon than we do about what Jesus did to save your eternity. So uh, get a check in your soul and get excited this morning, all right? Amen. Well, it's just me, uh, so I guess you guys can just ignore me. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn it out. Turn it open, excuse me, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands this morning. If you'll just slip your hand up, somebody will bring you one. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you take that one home. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, I'm excited about uh, 2013 because I believe that God is doing a work in our lives, in this community of faith, in what God wants to do, not only through Connection Church in Spearfish, but across the Black Hills. If, if you have not already been engaged with what's going on and what God is doing, there's just some really exciting things going on. Here we are, a church that's just barely uh, over a year old. And this year, we will be taking multiple mission trips to our region, to our nation, and to the world. We, I'm so excited about the, the work that we're doing here in the Black Hills in, in just a few weeks. In fact, it makes me a little bit nervous when I talk about this, but Easter Sunday is about 12 weeks away, uh, less than that probably, uh, and we will be opening up a new church in Belfouche, and we're very excited about that. We're excited about taking the gospel to that community, and we're in the process of getting everything going there. Not only that, but we're going to continue our work at Pine Ridge Reservation and reaching out to those people who are in need of Jesus there, working alongside a ministry there. We're taking groups to Boston to help a church planting uh, pastor there. Jan Veselkoff is an amazing man of God, and we're excited to come alongside him as he plants churches. He, he on Sunday, preaches in three different churches. So when I feel tired, I don't call Jan because he, he says, suck it up and be a real man. And, uh, but, but we're going to Boston. And then now, just in the last few weeks, it has opened up that we're going to be going to Haiti uh, to take some mission teams this summer. And we're so excited about that. And so God is doing something in this city, in this room, in in Spearfish, but even beyond that. And to think about God using you and I in that process just gets my heart excited. And and in in fact, oftentimes I just lay awake at night amazed at what God has done and will do. So 2013 is going to be an amazing year. In fact, uh, in just a few days, uh, we also will have a new family that will be joining our church. Uh, Jonathan and Shelby Land are going to be moving here this week. In fact, if you've got some time towards the end of the week, watch your email. They're moving to Spearfish. They're going to help us with our work in Belfouche for about a year. And then in 2014, they will move to Sioux Falls and they will be planting 
starting a new church in Sioux Falls. And so uh, you, you can welcome them next week. Uh, they're driving from Texas this, uh, this week, and we're praying that weather gives them uh, good travel. But they'll have all their stuff here. They have two young uh, girls, and uh, so they're going to be moving into our city and kind of becoming a part of our church family as they prepare to go plant a church in 2014. So it, it's, it is a big year, and it's a, and it's a great opportunity for God to do amazing things. And here's been my prayer all along that I will not stop praying until I die, that God would always keep this bigger than we could ever take credit for. And I'm not talking about numerically. I'm not talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about the spiritual movement that God wants to do in your heart, in my heart, in our lives through Connection Church. With that thought in mind, 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 5, we, we started this last week, uh, and this is Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul is an older pastor actually coming to the end of his ministry, and he has taken under his wing a young man named Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. He is uh, at a church in Ephesus and he is needing the encouragement. And so the, the books, the, the, the letters of First and Second Timothy are Paul's encouraging words and Paul's instructions to uh, Timothy. And we talked last week uh, about the first part of this verse that says the aim of our charge is what? Love. love. The aim of our charge is? Love. love. Okay, poke your neighbor, wake him up. The aim of our charge is? Love. love. And not just a, uh, you know, lovey-dovey, God loves the whole world uh, and nothing bad ever happens and there is no judgment. Paul says to Timothy, listen, there is such a controversy in the church of their day some 2,000 years ago already. In fact, if you just look at uh, the, every letter that Paul wrote, which is the majority of the New Testament you find that Paul is having to write the early church and say, listen, I know things are really screwed up, so here's how to fix it. So I don't know if that helps you, but it helps me know that, okay, nothing's really changed. We're still messed up. And when, when man gets involved in, in church and God's not in charge, then things get messed up. And so Paul's writing Timothy and saying, listen, the, the aim of your charge is love because the first four verses say that, that there, there are things going on that shouldn't be going on. There's bad theology. There's misguided doctrine. There are people trying to take charge in the church of that day because of their own selfish desires, not because they're wanting to build the kingdom of God. And, and, and they're just off course and, and they're, they're doing studies not to bring glory to God, but to bring glory and controversy to themselves and to the church. And so Paul says in one verse, in my opinion, what the aim of our charge should be is love. And we talked about how we should have a purpose of not only following God, but, uh, but obeying God and, and doing his work and not losing that focus. But then he says, how do you do that? The aim of our charge is love, verse 5 says, that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so this morning, what I want to do is to take those three things and to break them out into, into our minds, into our hearts, so that we can grasp a hold of them in a way that we can walk out of here and be changed for the glory of God. Number one is this. He says, the aim of your charge is love, and that issues from a pure 
heart. If, if I can translate that maybe into something we can grasp, it is a sin-free life. Sin-free life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I go, well, <laughs> that leaves me out. Anybody in here sin this week? All right, good. Hey, you guys are getting much more, much better at being honest. There's not many, as many liars in here uh, as there used to be when we first started doing this exercise of, of raising our hands. We, we, we are sinners. We are sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so when, when we hear have a pure heart and, and we hear live sin free, it must be said in the context of what Paul really means. So listen to some scripture as I read this morning. Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand on his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. You see, there is this understanding that to walk with God, there must be a purity of our heart. There must be a change in our attitude. There must be a transformation of our lives. In fact, Paul writes several scriptures about this. Listen to what he wrote in Romans chapter 7. Because Paul has the same struggle as you and I. We are sinners. We, we make mistakes. We, we tragically get off course and end up in the wrong place. And so when I hear, be pure in heart, be sin free, I go, I, I don't know what I do with that. Well, Paul wrote about this. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and following. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate, for I have the desire to do what is right, but the, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. What Paul says there is, I have a struggle. It's not an understanding in my mind that I have a problem with. I know what is right but I end up doing the wrong thing. And it's not because I want to. It's because I have a failure in my spirit. I have a failure in my heart. And, and so Paul, who says, be pure in heart, says, I struggle with being pure in heart. Paul, who says, live your life free from sin, has a trouble, has a problem with living free for sin. So this is what I want you to understand. God is not demanding perfection but a regeneration of your life, a transformation made possible by the work of the gospel in your heart and in your life. How do we know that? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to discern what the will of God is, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says that there is a transformation that happens and it doesn't happen all at once. When you come to Jesus, it's not like you take a pill and then you're free from sin. It is a transformation that happens day after day, year after year. The hope is the longer that you live for Jesus, the less you will sin. But you will struggle with it until the, your very last breath. So what, what 
what Paul is saying is be pure in heart. David struggled with this. David is, is the King David, the, the, the one described by God as a man after his own heart. In Psalm chapter 51, after he had literally wrecked his family, after he had committed adultery and murder and literally messed up uh, the, his family for the rest of their lives, he said, God, I made a mistake. I messed up. Psalm chapter 51 verse 10, created me a pure heart. Clean me up, cleanse me, change me for your glory. You see, what has to happen in your life and in mine is that God has to do a work in you. God has to change your heart. Romans chapter 6, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching from which you were committed. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says that God saved us not because of works done, but by his righteousness. But according, uh, excuse me, not by, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to understand. Paul says, be pure in heart, but there is not a possibility of you being pure in heart on your own, okay? In fact, I want you to catch this next phrase because it may be the most important thing I say this morning. Listen to this. Pure in heart comes from God alone. Would you say that with me? Pure in heart comes from God alone. Pure in heart comes from God alone. So when Paul says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. You need to understand it is not by your righteousness. It is not by your good works. It is not by anything you can accomplish on your own because you could work from now until the end of eternity and not deserve the grace that God has given you. You could never do enough right to earn the grace of a loving God. You could never do enough right to prove to the world that your love is stronger than the love of God. Pure in heart only comes from God. It means that we need to be free from sin. And sin means the work in Christ is, is doing a work inside of you and, and that we're getting rid of that sin and we're embracing Christ. Number two is this. He says, be pure in heart and then have a good conscience. If we can translate that into something that we, 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 we said we're going to be sin-free and now we want to be guilt-free. Anybody in here felt guilty before? Done something wrong? Okay, we're, we're, we're learning the exercise, okay? Lift your right hand, I am guilty. Okay, we, d d what does it feel like to be caught doing something you know you shouldn't have done? It's not a good feeling, is it? There's, a, there's the shame. There, there's the, there's the, the, your heart feeling caught in a vice. God says that if we want to be like him, if, we're, if the aim of our charge is love, then we need to have a sin-free, pure heart, and then we need to have a good conscience. And here's what you need to understand. Your conscience has been given to you by God. It either accuses you or it affirms you. It helps you in the decision-making of your life. We believe that the Holy Spirit for the believer in Christ is a great part of that. He is the one who directs us, who helps us know what is right and what is wrong. So he says that we need to have a good conscience. 
Listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 24, verses 14 through 16. He says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call the sect, I worship, God of, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. In this passage, there is a mini sermon that I'm going to preach to you in about four minutes. Okay, so hang on. What Paul says at the end, the product that I want to have is a good conscience. How do I get there? Uh, Four things. Number one, that you worship God. Listen, if you are worshiping anything other than God, then you have misplaced priorities. And we are all guilty of that. We are all guilty of worshiping the wrong thing. Your family, your job, your money, your uh, relationships, whatever it is that you are putting ahead of God. If God is not who you worship then you have misplaced priorities. Number two is this, that you should believe the God's word. Paul says in Acts chapter 24, I worship God and then I believe in God's word. If you are not daily, weekly pouring into God's word, memorizing it, hiding it in your heart, letting you struggle with it, that's, that's why we do small groups as a church is because you need to daily personally walk with God and then you need to be in a place where you are learning about God's word, where you're struggling. I don't understand this. I don't understand why God is leading us to do this. Why? That's what small group is all about. That's why we encourage it. That's why it's a, such an integral part of Connection Church. Believe in God's word. The, the third thing, have a hope in God alone. Here's what I believe with all my heart. If you're going to have a hope in anything, it needs to be in God. It doesn't need to be in, in the United, wonderful country, United States of America. I love our country, but my hope is not in the USA. Uh, the, we, we, we live in a wonderful state, but my hope is not in South Dakota. My, my hope is not in a political party or religious belief system. Our hope is in God and God alone. Amen? We, we should have our hope in Him alone. Then lastly... Paul says that I take pains to have a clear conscience. Here's what you need to understand. Having a good conscience, having a clear conscience takes work. It means that you make the right decision when nobody's looking. It means you make the right decision when it takes a lot longer to get there. The easy way out is not usually God's way. It is, listen, greatest thing that ever happened to me was giving my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The toughest life I live is following Christ because it's much harder to live in an immoral society for Jesus because of the decisions that you have to make. Now, the good thing is, is that Christ walks with you and that makes it easier. But there are often long journeys that you must take to do the right thing when it would be easier for you to cheat and have a guilty conscience. Paul says, I take pains to have a good conscience. So he worships God. He believes in God's word. He has a hope in God alone. And then he, he makes the sacrifice. He takes the pain. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he told Timothy later, train yourself for godliness. It takes time. It takes energy to do the right thing over and over and over. Now, here's the other thing that I want you to hear about a good conscience. The opposite, the antithesis of a good conscience is guilt. And here's, I want to make this perfectly clear. 
So be awake, listen, okay? Guilt is not from God. Would you say that with me? Guilt is not from God. If you have a guilty heart, God is not pouring guilt out on you. How do we know that? Because when God forgives us, we are forgiven forever. God, listen to this, God will never take you back to a place that he has freed you from. Amen? When, when, when you confess your sin to a holy God, the Bible says that he forgets it. He, put his, he puts it as far as the east is from the west. And so for some of us in this room, I believe we have guilt from our past. I want you to know that is not a godly guilt. If, if you have asked forgiveness for your sins, then Jesus has forgiven you and you are set free. Amen? I mean, that, that's just a, that is a freeing thought. But we all deal with that going back to the guilt. But you need to understand where that guilt's coming from. It is not coming from heaven. It is coming from the depths of hell. Satan wants to remind you of where you've been. And what you need to remind him is where he is going and where God has set you free from. God has set you free from your sin. How do we know that? Listen to some scripture. I'm just going to rapid fire here, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 6, verse 7. For the one who has died in Christ has been set free from sin. The whole, every song we sang this morning, everything that we heard about the blood of Jesus, every song that we sang about the cross, John 3, 16, all of it wrapped up says this, when Jesus forgives you, he sets you free from sin. The whole purpose is in, of him coming is that the chains of bondage of sin have been broken and now you are set free. Guilt does not come from God. Guilt comes from Satan. What are the results of a clear conscience? Just a few things. Peace, joy, confidence, hope, courage, contentment, and freedom. Paul says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. And then lastly, from a sincere faith. Has anybody ever heard someone call Christians or the church hypocrites? Yeah. Can I just solve that conversation altogether? When someone says, you know what? The church is full of hypocrites. You know what you should say? You bet we are. We're all messed up. We, we, we do the wrong thing. You can take them to Romans 7. Paul was a hypocrite. He said, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do the thing I'm supposed to do. I do the thing I'm not supposed to do, and I don't understand why I keep ending up in that spot. And so sometimes I hear people defending the church. Oh, no, we're not hypocrites. Well, hypocrite, you're a liar. You know, Get, gr grasp a hold of who we are. But Paul says that we need to be hypocrite-free. We need to have a good conscience and a pure heart, but then we need to have a sincere faith. Why do, we be, why, why, why do people call the church hypocrites? Because they have their eyes on the wrong person. Do not follow me, follow him. Do not follow the church, follow Jesus. 
And if you're a part of a church, if this ever becomes a church that it's about an individual or a personality or a movement and it's not about Jesus, go find another church. I give you the freedom today. Go. Because if that's what we're doing, then we miss the opportunity. We miss the whole reason why we're here. Paul says that you need to have a sincere faith. Now, I believe it's possible. I believe that it's possible to have a sincere faith because what it means is that we begin to fully trust in God, and that is faith. Fully trusting in God alone. Paul wrote this to Timothy because there were false teachers and their followers who were having guilt and sin because of their misguided doctrines and theology and their misguided faith. And so Paul says this, listen, if, you're, if the aim of your charge is love, you have to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith because there's a lot of fakes out there. There's a lot. In fact, if, if I had a magic wand and I was in charge of all religious matters, I would do away with TV preachers for the most part. Because I think they do Christianity in the local church more damage than they do good. Because all it takes is one person having the wrong motives and then everybody is bad. Don't follow a man. Follow Jesus. Don't follow a woman. Don't, don't follow a movement. Follow Jesus. What we need is a sincere faith for the world to see. When we have that sincere, God-centered faith, what does it look like? Paul wrote in Galatians 5 what it should look like. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Church, here's what we need. We need for the aim of our charge to be love. That issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We need a church that doesn't just talk about it, but with the action of our faith, hits the streets with the gospel. We, we need to be a church that doesn't say, you know what? And, and here's the advice. Here's the advice I was given. Doug, you know, when you start a church, the, 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 the spearfish, it, it needs to be so old and so big before you start doing other things, taking mission trips, giving money away, being generous, uh, planting churches, taking, uh, all, doing all. And you know what I said? You know, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. What if it's December 2013? What would I say to God when I got to heaven and said, you know what? We were were almost there. We were 75% of man's plan. You see, what I read from the Great Commission is to go. It didn't say go when you think you're ready. It says go when God tells you to go. See what Spearfish, I had a conversation last night with a man who I believe needs Jesus. and, And he said, this town, and it's really funny. Because he's, he, he's a spiritual person, but I don't believe he knows Jesus. But this is what he said. This town needs people who have a real relationship with God. What this town, and he was so right. But as your pastor, can I challenge you? What this town needs is a church like Connection Church that says the aim of our charge is love. We're not out for what we want. We're out for what he wants. 
And so we need to work hard. We need to take pains. We, we need to make the sacrifice to make sure that we have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Don't, don't defend me. Don't defend Connection Church. Don't defend this place. Defend the gospel. If someone calls this a group of hypocrites, say, you know what? You're right. We're not perfect. That will actually draw more people here, okay? Because more people fit into the hypocrite than they fit into the perfection. The aim of our charge is love. And we have to work hard so that God can use this. Let me close in this way. I want to give you four things in closing because this is what I believe that God has challenged us to do with this. 1 Timothy 1.5. What does God want us to do? To understand four things. Number one, you are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you leave here on Sunday, if Jesus is in your heart, if you know that he is your Lord and Savior, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven when you die. You are a representative of Christ. How will you represent him this week? Will you be mediocre in your walk with Christ? Will you try to make it socially acceptable in the things that you say and do and worry about what man thinks? Or are you listening to the heart of God and saying, God, I want to be your representative. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to love? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to be generous in my lifestyle? How do you want me to be your representative this week? Number two is this. We have to remember that we are products of grace. Do not ever forget that if it were not for the loving grace of a holy God, you would be on your way to hell with no redemption possible. If God had not grasped you with grace, hell is what you and I deserve. It is by grace through faith in a holy God that we have been saved and that Jesus has rescued us. Don't ever forget that. The third thing is that you need to understand that you were designed to glorify Christ. You know what my goal would be for Sunday morning? Is that we would disturb the neighborhood with the worship that happens in this room. This place would just expand. When, when Jeffrey leads us, and, and by the way, I don't know if you know it, but we have such a talented worship team that stands up here every week and, and worships, and we're, we're so blessed to have them. You should know that, that this is, we're like 10 grades above where we should be as a church. We're blessed to have Jeffrey and Jill here and their leadership. But when he stands up, it's not about him. It is about him. And we should sing with all of our heart. Your, your voice should be hoarse because you want to cry out to the God who has rescued you. And the blood that he has shed should, we should be reminded every single week. And it's not just a worship event that happens here. It's a lifestyle that you live out there. You were created to worship and glorify the king. That's your job. Lastly, that we are to be strong in our faith. Your goal should be to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And that takes work day after day after day, being in God's word, memorizing his word, being usable to him, believing that God really can move mountains in your life, in our church, in our city, that it is possible to see hundreds come to Christ in our city, that this place be rescued, that the Black Hills be transformed by the power of the gospel. We have to believe that God is big enough to do those kinds of things. If not, stay home. Don't come. 
Because what we need is not a group of believers who say, yeah, maybe God can do that. What we need is a group of believers who are engaged for the glory of God in the building of his kingdom. 2013 can be a mediocre year and just like every other one in your life, or it can be a life-changing opportunity for God to rock your world and to change your heart. That's what I'm praying for you. That's what I'm praying for me. That's what I'm praying for this city. That's what I'm praying for Belfouche. That's what I'm praying for Pine Ridge. That's what I'm praying for uh, this, this region. That's what I'm praying for Boston. That's what I'm praying for Haiti. That's what I'm praying for this nation, for this world, is that God would rock us at the core of our being so that we would be reminded who he is and what he wants to do in our lives today. Don't be mediocre. Don't, don't be like everybody else. Be like Jesus. Reach out for the cross and let the power of the gospel transform your heart.